for a little while. But um, tonight we have a remarkable guest with us. Um, her name is um, uh, author. Uh, she's author and investigative journalist uh, for the Middle East, um, and her name is Charlotte Dennett. And um, we will be talking to her in a few minutes um, about her new book. It's called The Crash of Flight 30 or 3805. I'm sorry, 3804, and it's called The Lost Spy. Um, a Daughter's Quest and Deadly Politics of the Great Game for Oil. And uh, she's an expert in the Middle East and um, in Middle East politics and so on. And she's um, she speaks five languages, English, French, Italian, Spanish, and Arabic. And um, she's a former Middle East reporter, investigative journalist, and um, an attorney, uh, born in Beirut of a uh, now-famous father, uh, Daniel Dennett, uh, she began her journalism career in Beirut, Lebanon, in a roving uh, as a roving correspondent for the Middle East Sketch, which is an English language feature magazine modeled after Time and Newsweek. Uh, in 1974, and traveled through the Middle East and uh, Gulf countries, and she's an expert in uh, many many areas in uh, writing and issues in Iran, uh, Kuwait, Abu Dhabi, uh, Dubai. Omar and Iran, and um, um, she's quite quite a fascinating lady. And her book until is um, the crash and, and flight of 3804, lost by a daughter's quest and the deadly politics of great game for oil. It's a fascinating book, and I uh, you know I hope you'll uh, uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm going to uh, we're going to we may, I'm hoping we don't have any uh, any problem here tonight, and I hope you're getting my you're listening, you're hearing me. So uh, everything's going well. I'm going to uh, dial her up right this morning, and she'll be on in just a second. Um, hopefully. Said this dialing, so let's. Hello. Uh, hey, how are you, Charlotte? Good evening. Okay. Can you hear me all right? You can hear yeah. me well. Sure. Oh, great. We can hear you. We can hear you well too. Um, so t- tell us uh, what uh, I've I had introduced you, and um, amazing. I mean, I was surprised actually that you spoke five five different languages fluently. I I can barely speak one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, even, even though I've written books and tried everything else, but it, I, I still find I can't imagine uh, you speak Farsi and Arabic and all of these other languages. Huh? Well, I don't Hello? speak Farsi, oh, and oh, you my don't? Arabic is no, no, that's not one of them. <laughs> that's that's Persian. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, oh, Arabic Persian. is yeah some some conversational. I probably I'm. The, the least fluent in that, but I had to, you know, learn it when I was over there as a journalist. Yeah, so, that must have been really difficult, right? To, to well, up. it's not. You, uh, you know, Lebanon is. Uh, are we on, or I don't know if we're. Yes, are, yes, yes, we are. Okay, on, right. all right. On, yeah. Now, Lebanon uh, used to be a French mandate, so hmm. a lot of the people uh, speak French. They they had control. Oh. 
over that area uh, from uh, post World War One period right up through. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to oh through forty six. Yeah, it was a French mandate, and there's a huge huh. French uh, influence in the in the region. So that that was their major uh, second language, and a lot of them speak English now too. So no. it's very easy. Well, yeah. to... Yeah. Lebanon's a wonderful um, place. Well, it was a wonderful place to live <laughs> when I was there. That was in the seventies, and you know, it's just been uh, that was so uh, totally where, where was that exactly? Where which, where which country was that? Yeah, I I in Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. Oh, Lebanon. Oh, Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. I was really a, like, I was a yeah. journalist there for for a few years, mm. but that way back mm. in the seventies, that's how I started my journalism career. Oh, um, oh. The um, yeah, I'm just I, I was just looking over the number of languages that you do speak, which uh, you know, is fascinating. Um, do you do you believe that? Uh, I know it's a strange question to ask you, but do you believe that millennia is uh, is uh, fluent in five languages? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I right. really don't. I know that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. About but you know, you but, know, it's uh, a funny thing, Leo. I mean. <laughs> For some people, it's just easy, you know. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, and some really, languages it, are close to each other too. I guess. Yeah, they are the Latin languages: languages. French, yeah, Italian, things. Spanish, yeah. which I speak all of them. So. That's amazing. Anyway. Well, there you go. That's that's that in itself is a great accomplishment, but it seems like what you've done in your career has been amazing. Uh, you know, to, but, um, I I really, of course, what really amazes me. Is your um, well? Your book is great, well written, but I, what was amazing me too was the um, plot. The, it seems like the the European and West and and the U.S. have been plotting this for for decades upon decades of these of these pipelines and destroying all of these different uh, countries uh, in order to uh, you know in order to uh, get at the oil. Is that is that basically the policy that we have? With, with your, yeah, that, I am sad to say. Try to meddling, meddling, and, dis, and making all these problems, you know, since the yeah, that, no. I, yeah. One of the things that my book does is to show that uh, in this age of endless wars, um, mm. you will find pipeline politics. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, I I got onto that way back uh, when I was investigating the death of my father and his last mission as America's only master spy in the Middle East, and this was in uh, 47, uh, was to determine the route of the Trans-Arabian Pipeline, which was a very, Uh very big deal at the time. And what it ended up being, uh, it it really boosted America's um, power in the region. And for that Mm -hmm. reason... It was it was very uh, very feared uh, by by none other than America's major allies during the war. That the, the um, I found out the British, the French, and the Russians were all very anxious about America's rise to power, and so you see all sorts of intrigues going on at that time. Yeah, after, and so after what I World did, War II, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's World War Two. But yeah. so I developed what what I call pipeline consciousness. Once I once I understood the the intrigues to to try to prevent it from uh, terminating. Well, there was a question of Palestine or Lebanon, 
And um, anyway, when I learned about the intrigues, which included the fact that the first CIA coup that that was ever done was uh, against the uh, regime in Syria. President oh. Kuwatli, uh, 1949, he was resisting the pipeline from oh. uh, terminating in Palestine because he was um, against having a Jewish state be formed in that region. And so they uh, managed to overthrow him and put in a guy that, that favored it, and the pipeline actually it ended up going to Lebanon. But there you have an example of a regime change around a pipeline. And then what I learned that in the uh, post-9-11 period, uh, actually uh, it was really, it all began uh, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in the early 90s. And uh, uh. the big place that they were all they were all vying for was the Caspian Sea. That was the new hot spot. Yeah, for yeah, oil. that that was the whole thing of uh, around 9/11. Um, you know, in Afghan uh, Afghanistan yeah, yeah, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um what what happened is oh well, I don't know if I can go into all the detail, but um there was a, an American yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I know I I was just saying I think it's very important to, 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 to lay the background because we did, you know, I, I, I was involved with the radio for many, many years, and I, and I, nine one one was, uh, I, you know, we had done, I was on television at that time, and uh, we've done a lot of inf- a lot of research on that, and had many, many guests um, uh, uh, um, against, you know, arguing against the nine uh, eleven. Um, 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 uh, 9/11 conspiracy, if you will, that it was an Afghan, uh, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden, and uh, when it was actually more of an inside job, which is most people, uh, <clears throat> my uh, my friend uh, Jim Mars, who I had on my show several many times, he was a uh, 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 well conspiracy writer, but Jim Jim Mars uh, wrote. Uh, um, uh, crossfire, which was uh, put on by the death of uh, JFK, but he came out right about right a year or two later, and his book was censored greatly, uh, but it uh, it did manage to make it out. Uh, was uh, uh, the inside job, and he explained hmm. how that uh, that it was an American CIA, uh, you know, um, run uh, uh, gambit. Okay, and it was set up to look like like. Uh, Afghanis had hijacked those planes and so on and so forth. But in reality, those trains, some of those planes were um, the planes supposedly. Uh, they which one, the one in the Shanks, Shanksville, they never found any evidence of it. Uh-huh. And uh, and the one that supposedly hit the Pentagon was actually a a, uh, a guided missile, right? They found it to be a missile. And, uh, right. And well, I, I'm I'm familiar with those theories, and um, you know those, right? Boy, you and, know, uh, Richard Gage, who, uh, you know, Richard Gage was the, uh, um, you know, probably the top guy, conspiracy conspiracy guy, uh, because he was uh, the end one of the, he was the president of the architects and engineers, uh, the two thousand oh, yes. of them um, who who signed uh, said there was a, 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 a controlled demolition, and they had all kinds mm-hmm. of evidence to prove that. So my thought too was, I mean, that promoted 
that 9-11 got us into Afghanistan, which eventually got us into Iraq, you know. And, of course, uh, well, we did. took over the oil fields there, you know. Well, so what, what my, my book does – oh, go ahead. Sorry. It goes back – yeah, yours – what I like about yours is it goes back even further to explain the groundwork, how we've been involved in that mess since World War II, you know. But also, yeah. I, I didn't know – I didn't notice if um, – uh, when when in 19, I think it was, when was the fall of the Shah of Iran? Uh, we put uh, him in there. 79. But, uh, 79? If you're talking about the more recent Shah. Uh, no, no, the Shah, back when we were got involved there, then they had the, uh, what was it, the uh, when they held everybody hostage, huh? Yeah, the Iran-Contra. Um, that was 1979. Right, right. And, uh, but we were in control of that whole territory for a long, long time uh, under those dictatorships, weren't we? Yeah. I mean, uh, Iran and Iraq, uh, you know, uh, um, Kuwait, where, you know, all the, all, the, all the places. And we, yeah. and then we kind of, for some reason, we lost control of it uh, with Gaddafi and so on. Uh, what, uh, what happened there uh, to make us lose full control of that area and then have to go back into, well, you know, well, for one thing, let's talk about Iran. Uh, yeah. the, the Iranians are very sophisticated people. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a difference between the Iranians who live in the interior, and they tend to be more religious, uh, more rural-based, and they are the mm-hmm. power behind the Ayatollah. When I was uh, uh, I was in Iran, I went to Iran twice, um, <clears throat> during the 1970s, let's see, 75, when the Shah was still in power. And the Shah really? was greatly, oh yeah, he was greatly hated. Uh, this this was a Shah that didn't get a uh, an honest depiction in the U.S. press. I mean, that's one thing I learned as a journalist over there. What mm-hmm. the American yeah. people are being told is, like, vastly different than what's really going on over there. I, I are, know, I, I know. I've been, you know, it's been unbelievable. I, I've been fighting yeah. that whole concept. Right? And, uh, you know, reading and, and interviewing people. But to me, uh, the, the biggest, boldest lie right now uh, in the Middle East, uh, I mean, why did, uh, I mean, was there any real evidence that that guy was plotting, the guy that, uh, uh uh, the guy uh, Trump had blown up uh, the, the the chief of the Soleimani. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what was that all about? I mean, was it you know, supposedly you know he, he had a drone strike on the guy? You know what I mean? And killed him before yeah. he yeah. had a ter- ter- made a terrorist assault or something uh, against the United States. But was that, is that I, my understanding? Real? No, my understanding is that he was going to Iraq. There was mm-hmm. a lot of protests and and. Uh, civil right. unrest going on in Iraq, and my understanding right. is that he went there to try to calm things down, uh, uh, but he got targeted because he was Iran's major general, and uh, right. uh, the U.S., under Trump, uh, saw mm. him as a threat because um, he was expanding Iranian influence um, in places like Syria, for instance and right. uh right. Lebanon through Hezbollah they wanted to target Iranians and and the Israelis very much wanted this too so uh that that was you know short of of invading Iran which would be a disaster 
I guess they <laughs> made the decision that they were going to target the, the top general, and this would be a great PR mm. coup. But the fact of the matter is, every time something like that happens, it just gets the people right. in the region super pissed off. And as oh, I was yeah. saying, when I was there in the time of the Shah, his secret police was everywhere. It was on all the street corners watching people. I had students coming oh, up to wow. me and begging me to tell the, pr- the, the truth about this Shah, mm. who was very oppressive. He was trying to right. modernize Iran quickly, but along lines that were acceptable to uh, Chase Manhattan Bank and David Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, oh, yeah. all of his money was put into Chase, all of Iran's money was put into Chase Bank. And when uh, hmm. the Ayatollah uh, came to power and overthrew the Shah, he started mm-hmm. withdrawing some of that money, which was Iranian money, from Chase. And uh, oh. that got the bankers very upset. And so mm. what happened is the one thing that stopped further withdrawals was the seizure of the embassy. I, I, it gets kind of elaborate, okay? But I, right. what no, I'm trying no, to no, tell it's, you... It's fascinating. Most people aren't aware yeah. of that history. And, no, there's all no, sorts and, uh, of mucky muck going on. I was in touch with the hostage families. I mean, there were, there were, yeah, I, because I'm the daughter of a diplomat and a spy, and so I, I, I sort of felt for them being held hostage there, but there were some of them that were really suspicious. They thought that, were they they thought of them or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and they thought that there was, uh, that it might be a a put-up job, namely, um, one of them, a top diplomat told his wife, watch out for Rockefeller, Kissinger, and Helms. Well, these were the top people that were determining what was happening in Iran. So I think they believed that they were used. um, And the way they were used is that a warning went from Tehran to the U.S. State Department saying, do not let the Shah into Iran. The Shah was suffering from cancer. And, you know, the big guys felt they owed something to him because he was their puppet. So they did let him in. And and what happened is, right after that, the embassy was seized. And the uh, State Department, Tehran, warned. He said, if you let the Shah in, there's going to be a problem. They may actually attack the embassy. Then uh, David Rockefeller and his boat... They let him in anyway, and they knew it was going to be seized. And as soon as the embassy was seized, then uh, Carter, who was president at the time, um, right. yielded to pressure to block all Iranian money in Chase Manhattan Bank. <laughs> so none of it was withdrawn. I, you see, that things get very intricate there. But, but what I want to say is... Uh, the people of the Middle East, they know what's going on, and they know it's all about right. oil, and they know that coups have happened over oil and assassinations and so on. So oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. the U.S. Is, is quite roundly distrusted, but the American people don't know that. They don't understand because they've been fed so many lies about why oh, we're so, fighting it's so there. True. It's so true. Um, no, yeah. I've been... I, yeah, I was... Um, I, I when uh, when she told me about your book, um, uh, uh, I, uh, I was mean. interested. Uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, I, I was quite interested because I uh, 
I went through all that. I mean, I've been through that, you know. Uh, I mean, even down to, uh, you know, interviewing Scott Ritter. Remember Scott Ritter, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, going to one of his talks here, he had one of those up here in um, Connecticut. And, um, no, all these things were very uh, um, very real, you know, very real to me. And we protested the Iraq war in uh, D.C. I did two documentaries on on that film and television oh. documentaries. And, uh, no, they were uh, you know, all anti-war stuff. And then when they wound up, I mean, see, when, when uh, so this is another story, but uh, it has to do with the, with our, with the, with the, um, the resistance behind the movement of, you know, of the Iraq war. And, uh, of course, Afghan war and all oh, because the first one we went to was the, uh, in uh, 2003, which was uh, in January 18th, and uh, freezing down there, but it was right before the invasion. You know, we were trying to stop the invasion. Oh yeah, the biggest. There's a there's a new documentary yeah. out that's that's really quite impressive, and it's yeah. about all the millions of people who protested around the world. Right, and in yeah, that particular uh, one, there was, was half. Uh, there was about half a million of us right down there in Washington D.C. and. Uh, yeah. That was in December. It was freezing. It was horrible. But then two years later, after the invasion, uh, the uh, uh, we there in two thousand was two thousand five, I believe. Yeah, was the next major uh, rally after that to get us out of Iraq. And um, what happened was is we had there was about three four hundred thousand uh, uh, people marching in D.C. I was there, one of them. And uh, my my uh, uh, girlfriend as well, and we were filming that whole whole thing, a documentary, and uh, interviews and whatnot. But to make a long story short, we found out that they gassed us. They didn't gas us. What they did is they dropped a bioweapon on us, um, and a sprayed a bioweapon in the final days of that uh, of that uh, rally, uh, which was on the 24th, I believe, of of uh, September. And uh, we found out uh, through the newspapers and through the announcement that all five uh, biosensors in the in the on the Washington Mall went off in that in that uh, on that afternoon. All of them. Well, I didn't okay. even know and there were such that, things. Biosensors. Yeah, that, that came out. Biosensors. There's there's five huh. or six of them in the, right around the mall area, the Washington oh. Mall, and uh, yep. that's where all the protesters were. Right now, we some some of our people noticed. That something was being sprayed on us. We had, it, something was coming down on the people, and everyone was that looking up. And there was there were uh, several helicopters that were spraying stuff over us. And uh, and uh, my uh, we went we, we after we took some footage, we wound up going into the Reagan Building underground because we wanted to, we wanted to stay. You know what I mean? If they were we decided we'd go inside or at least underground, and we did. And we stayed there for several about an hour at lunch, and then went out out to the train station, uh, to the train. But uh, the uh, but we found out days a few days later, the CDC announced that there had been a um, a bio weapon that had uh, tularemia actually it was called that actually uh, was detected on all major all the all the biosensors, which was very wow. very rare. And, Did that and get tularemia. reported anywhere in the press? Yes, yes, that's how I found out about it. It came huh. it on, on um, yeah, it was on ABC dot com, and the Washington Post 
okay, came out with it, and um, and that was that was the one that, that that I read both of those on my and I put I incorporated those in that documentary I did toward the end of the oh, show, mm-hmm. just to prove that we had had it, and I read the article from the, the different uh, news outlets, as well as knowing people that were on the bus with me when we were going back home, many of them were sick. They were they were getting all the symptoms of of, uh, of the bioweapon, which were flu-like mm. symptoms, and some of them were. Actually, I know where you're going on this. <laughs> I I think, right? Well, what what, what happened was is where they actually did, and um, you know, and I called up um, uh, Doug Rocky, who was the major. Doug Rocky, uh, he was the on our show once before, and he was the weapons inspector for uh, with Scott Ritter. But he was the Iraqi weapons inspector, and uh, uh, and he was also the guy who uh, de uh, programmed but de uh, dismantled the uh, uh, um, uh, chemical weapons. All right, uh, mm-hmm. and he yes, that's true. Uh, yeah, and when I called him up, and I called and uh, I called him up and asked him to be on the show and if he'd explain if he talked to us about what happened, and he said, yeah. So um, he said he didn't, he couldn't tell that they had actually done it, but he said he wouldn't doubt that they did it because there was a lot mm-hmm. of psychopaths in that in Bush's uh, Pentagon there, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said they would have done that, and uh, he admitted on the phone that was that was he was the top weapons inspector in the country, and um, and then the other guy, and then when they they talked about it in the news, not news, they never covered it in the news at all. Just on those two reports, that was and uh, when it came out, and I did a, I did a whole entire segment on that with my documentary, and then Salon.com came out with a with a major major article on that, and uh, interviewing people that had been there, uh, some people that had gotten sick, uh, what had happened, and that really never went too far either. That was pretty well. well that's uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So wow. You know, it was from that, from that knowledge that you know I didn't you know being being a guy from the you know growing up in the '60s and '70s uh, as a uh, you know activist if you will um, even though I was a uh, you know in my, my I was uh, 18, 19, and 20 and uh, you know going to rallies and peace rallies and voting for my mm-hmm. governor and all, all of that stuff you know and. Uh, but we found out that most of this stuff was a problem. Uh, we found out that the, uh, you know, the Vietnam War was a sham. Uh, the everything had been a sham, and we were being led into more shams. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. just like your book says, and it was all, or you know, at the time there was a big deal about uh, the New World Order. You know, and oh, yeah, uh, sure. you know, when Bush, yeah, when Bush came out with that, and uh, we we. Uh, Anybody who studied the politics at that time, which I did very much so, um, found it just to be unbelievable, breathtakingly uh, um, overwhelming, the deception that our own government has led us to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're sitting with the, with the craziest bastard that ever ever uh, <laughs> ever been in office, you know, a crazy, crazy bastard. Yeah. But um, you know, what, what's your opinion of him? And the middle, what's the middle? Of, everybody in the Middle East must want, must be praying for COVID at this point. <laughs> you know. Oh my God! 
it's crazy. I mean, his 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 policies in the Middle East are, are very yeah transactional. It, it all centered on what he can get out of it. So there's been this talk right. about a, a, a Trump peace plan. Even even there've been several of his I don't know fans who have nominated mm. him for peace prize, the Nobel Peace yeah. Prize. Oh, yeah, 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 I saw that. Next went, oh, week, God, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, well, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. first guy, it, it's happening, oh, the course. announcement will be on Friday, actually. He thinks he's going to get <laughs> it. Well, some right-wing Norwegians uh, recommended him, but he, what he's doing in the <laughs> Middle East, it's a sham. It's not a peace plan at all. It's, no, it's, it's a total uh, sham, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an oil you, and military alliance is what's going on <laughs> over there. And they, um, they've they got Israel and now has planet. two other Gulf countries uh, allied with it, which they've been doing uh, covertly, and now it's overt. So you've got Israel. Saudi Arabia is, is in favor of what's going on, but it has to play a very careful role because it's the keeper of the great Islamic shrines in Mecca, Medina, right, like the right, leader of the right. Muslim world. So they, ha- they have not come out. Uh, and uh, the old faction, Saudi faction, always uh, supported Palestinian rights. Uh, the right. crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, who is snarkily referred to as Mohammed Bonesaw because he he, yeah, he exactly. had his guys yeah. hacked to get a a major yeah. critic of the Saudis who worked for the Washington Post. But at any rate, Ben Salman has this big plan um, to turn uh, the Red Sea into this fantastic futuristic... Uh, uh, they're going to build a futuristic city on the Red Sea called Neom, and uh, supposedly trying to wean their way off of oil. But in the meanwhile, you know, courting the Americans, and the Americans are doing the same. The Saudis have a huge influence in America. They're particularly strong in Silicon Valley, which may indicate that they're trying to, uh, you know, get get into alternative investments other than oil, because I think they all realize now, even the oil companies realize that um, fossil fuels are the cause of... Yeah, they they see that. They see that. And because of the COVID, you know, there's a huge oil glut because people aren't traveling. (laughs) So they got all these tankers off the coast of of various uh, ports in the United States and Europe just sitting there because Mm. of the the glut of oil. So the price of oil has gone down. So, yeah, they're they're smelling... the coffee, so yeah. to speak. They're seeing what, what's so. happening. I think so. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's very this, interesting. Yeah, what were we saying? Yeah. No, there was two two areas that I wanted to ask you about, which is uh, um, the one was the, the, the Chapter 7, which was uh, the militarization of the Eastern Mediterranean. Now, you're yeah. saying that they're thinking about a, a major pipeline going through there? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Since 2000, there have been. Come on. Well, since 2000, there have been major, major uh, oil and gas discoveries off the coast of the Eastern Mediterranean. And what are the countries Hmm. that border the Eastern Mediterranean? They're Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey. And and one of the things I do in my book is I have maps. 
you know, people aren't really familiar with the area, but if you start to look at the map, no, that's I think that I think that's sense. what's true. Yeah, it does because um, it, you know, seriously, I, I'm looking at one of your maps now in the book, and um, no, when people realize how close everyone is to one another there, you know, yeah, and who's sharing borders and so on. I mean, the one thing was like uh, one of the problems that Syria had. Uh, right after the uh, Iraq uh, war, was uh, they took they took in three thousand uh, uh, um, refugees from uh, from Iraq, and uh, they they were all um, 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 they weren't Shiite. They were uh, uh, um, Sunni. Uh, Sunni. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. they were all Sunnis. And so they had a problem there, and uh, and they were kind of I mean three million refugees in a small town, a small area like Syria. I mean they pretty much take over the government, you know, and take over the problems. And I think that was one of the main reasons. Uh, um, you know, they were uh, one of the main reasons Syria was having such a trouble, such trouble with them. Um, yeah, well, of course, what I do, what I do in the book because it's my yeah. focus, I look at the oil yeah. dimension there. And, right. Uh, right. again, if you look at a map, and you look at the eastern yeah. Mediterranean, Israel wanted yeah. to be an energy corridor. It had, there was huge gas and oil uh, reserves found off the coast of the Mediterranean, off of the coast of Israel, right. starting in mm-hmm. 2000. So Netanyahu, uh, among others, was planning... On you know if you've got to find a way to ship the oil and gas, and so the plan was to um, have Israel play a major role in in shipping this this gas to Europe. But the the problem right. is when you look on the map, there were two major obstacles, and one of them was Lebanon, and another is Syria because they're directly north of Israel. Right. So right. Um, anyway. Assad, the the president of Syria, um, he rejected a pipeline plan that had been sponsored by Qatar, which is this this small country, sort of located right. you know, on eastern the eastern part of Saudi Arabia. It's it's like a it's like a little peninsula, and mm. they they have some of the mo- the biggest gas fields in the world which they share with the Iranians. So Qatar oh. wanted to run a pipeline that went through Syria and up through Europe and maybe Turkey. And um, Assad rejected it. And the reason he rejected it is because Russia didn't want it. Russia is the major supplier of natural gas to Europe. And suddenly it was seeing all these competitors coming on the scene. One of them was this Qatar oh. pipeline idea, uh, and, and of course, American shale oil producers are coming on big in there, and they want to compete mm. against Russia. So anyway, the, uh, Assad rejected that pipeline and proposed another pipeline that would travel from Iran through Syria. And the West didn't like that at all, 
because mm-hmm. Iran was an ally of Russia. You see, so this is a great game that never gets discussed in the press, but it's really what's going on. So as soon as uh, Assad started pressing for this alternative uh, quote-unquote Islamic pipeline, uh, you see the ramping up of efforts to undermine his regime. So, you know, behind the scenes, uh, the United Arab Emirates and the Saudis and the Israelis are all funding these um, these so-called jihadists and, and uh, the Syrian army uh, that they're trying to overthrow Assad. Okay, and what happened <laughs> is it didn't work. That by 2015, hmm. Assad called in the Russians. And uh, they were able to put down uh, all these efforts to overthrow him. And, I mean, it got it got very bloody. A lot of people died. A lot of refugees were created. A lot of cities were destroyed. But in the end, the Russians uh, emerged victorious. And now they've got a major military base on the uh, coast of uh, Syria. It's called Tatar. They've modernized it now. This is freaking out. The, the NATO countries and, and the U.S., and they, mm. they, I don't think they anticipated this happening, but one thing that the U.S. is doing now is it has occupied, through American military troops, uh, eastern Syria, where the oil is, where Syrian oil is. And they, mm. you, you may remember when uh, Trump said, uh, we're going remo- to re- remove troops from uh, from Syria, uh, and then he changed his mind. He got some blowback within, what, the Pentagon, I guess. And then he said, oh, no, no, we're going to redeploy American troops to Syria to control our oil. That's what he said, to control our oil. It's not American oil. It's Syrian oil. So they're now occupying, formally occupying eastern Syria. So that is a very dangerous situation. There's well, like tinderboxes you know, all ready to go off. <laughs> but but when uh, when uh, um, uh, when Trump bombed Syria, all right, um, yeah, it was it was in Syria, yeah, and uh, and uh, 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 withdrew his troops from Syria from the the uh, the border there. Where where was it? Um, recently, it, it it ticked off Mattis, and that, that was when he resigned. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, that uh, that, Trump that is playing that. a very yeah. reckless game because he doesn't know and the history. Well, it is, it's, no, he doesn't care about the history. All he knows is Putin's right. giving him a phone call, and he, you know, he says, "Oh yeah, yeah," because, because you know, they, they're they're finding out he owes four hundred and thirty billion uh, tri- uh, trillion, four hundred and thirty million dollars. Okay, right now. Okay, standing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. To some bank, which they haven't been able to disclose yet, it was probably Deutsche Bank, and most yeah, of Deutsche probably Bank, is. Bank for, yeah, they launder yeah, they launder money, laundering Russian money. It was mostly Russian yeah. money. And, uh And they, you know, they funneled that to Mitch McConnell. They funneled it to Lindsey Graham. They funneled it to all the major guys, and you know, to to to, to keep them shut up, and uh, on their side. Uh, well, that, wait, uh, wait. Do you know that for sure? Are you saying that? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. They got, they, yeah. Uh, it wasn't, uh, no. Um, it wasn't Deutsche Bank. Well, no, Deutsche. They owe a lot of money to Deutsche, all right. Yeah, but no, Deutsche, Deutsche Bank is major. Was, yeah, yeah. 
and and Kennedy's uh, son, the Kennedy, who is the, uh, the the judge who resigned, okay, yes. the Supreme Court judge, his son was the major lender family in Deutsche Bank. Right? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Now, yep. Yeah, interesting connection. Huh? Now, when mm-hmm. he resigned, okay, from the from the Supreme Court, uh, the uh, the uh, Kavanaugh was the one who was, uh, Kavanaugh supposedly was uh, uh, um, recommended by Kennedy, okay, yeah. as his replacement, and that he yeah. was, because uh, he was the clerk for him and so on and so forth. Well, as it turned out, that deal, uh, you know, they, it, uh, it did that, that information about his son never really hit the major papers on that. But it turned out that uh, uh, when he uh, was asked about it, um, when Trump was asked about it, he says, he says, oh, yeah, uh, and I forgot uh, the Kennedy's son's name, but he says, oh, he's good friends with Jared and my sons. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you know. And uh, he's lent them millions upon millions of dollars. Okay, um, So that that connection was so dirty. And the press never really followed up on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. it was just there was something really strange about that one, all right. Sure. Going on and so on, and uh, so you know, it's it's uh, Charlotte. It's 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 just so dirty. Everything is so laden with plots and conspiracy, and, and <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's a it, frightening it, it's issue. And then you got a guy like Trump. Where the hell did a guy like Trump come from? He was bought and sold by the by the Russians. And now he's the head of, the, of, of our country, been destroying everything he touches, including yeah. infecting everything he touches, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's I, really something, isn't it? It's really quite yeah, I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> being being a, such a, a well-traveled and, and experienced uh, journalist and so on, what are you seeing as far as your contacts out there, as far as um, European uh, or world contacts that you may have? Journalists and so on. What are they seeing, and what are they uh, reporting on on the reaction to Trump? Okay, well, and all of the policies, as well as the United States for for being so chaotically crazy with this COVID thing. <laughs> what are they? You know, what are they? They think they, it, they think it's tragic. They think it's really sad. They it pity. Sad. They pity the United States. Is, is what I uh, what I'm learning. And, I agree. Uh, I agree. Who knows how we're going to come out of it? Although, I would like to think that, uh, you know, the last great plague, um, mm. which happened, what, 1912, I believe, um, right. some good things came out of it, ultimately, because it stripped bare all the inequalities, for instance, that were going on, and, and people mm. really had to take stock. And I think that's going to happen again now. Uh but I, I, well, it's very hard to make predictions, really, uh, because this damn I, pandemic I is going to get worse oh, again, and, and it's crippling yeah. economies. I'm, it's just, it's going to force major adjustments. First of all, I will say that, um, you know, accompanying all this horror, COVID-related uh, closing mm. of the economy is the fact that we have a very automated society. You know, robotics is very big. And, yeah, and that do. means yeah. permanent job loss, right? Uh, robots yeah. are taking yeah. over jobs. And they're never well, coming back. Well, that's right. 
So we have to figure out how are people going to survive. And so there's some discussion of uh, a guaranteed annual income. That is being Mm -hmm. pursued in some European countries. Um, You know, give give people a basic stipend so they can survive. What? I think Denmark, you know McConnell uh, and all that. They're just stalling it. They don't want anything to even resemble this. I mean, when that oh, stipend payment went out in May, it helped a lot of people, and I cannot sure believe that they won't help people again. There's so many people unemployed now. They're very desperate. They're being thrown out of their homes. I mean, it's totally outrageous. And, it's, and it's, a, so, it's a nightmare from hell. Hell is nightmare. Yeah, hell, really. Yeah, so something's got to give. I just saw yesterday, uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, new new, uh, unemployment figures came out, and there was another 875,000 applications for unemployment just last month alone. I mean, that's almost a million last month alone. Yeah. Unreal. Just horrible, unreal. But I... I, uh, one one more question I had for you, and I uh, in your book it was about um, Afghanistan, was the, mm-hmm. the graveyard of uh, empires, you know, and yeah. boy that one was so true. But uh, I mean, where are we? Where are we now? Do you think Afghanistan is the graveyard of of, of our country at this point? All oh, the money we've sunk into there, and uh, we're still not out of there. They're still yeah. blowing us up over there, and uh, now well, we find out that Putin has got a bounty on on. Uh, you know, bounties uh, on American soldiers? Yeah, you know. well, I, I I could respond to that one, too. I mean, um, yeah. they all do it, frankly. I mean, yeah. the Soviets yeah. were finally pushed out of Afghanistan because the U.S. Right. were paying bounties to to uh, jihadists, to, to, to you know? Where, where we are? Oh, God, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah I mean, so do they all it? do it. They, they all, they do, all do use proxy it? forces. Yeah, do you do. remember? Uh, yeah, do you remember Rambo? Um, yeah, what a great movie that was. Uh, Rambo. Uh, for, I don't know if it was First Blood or if it was Rambo. Well, he was in the he was in the uh, in Afghanistan. Um, you know, Sterling uh, Stallone. Um, that, that was an outstanding movie. The others weren't so great, but that was outstanding. Um, but are we? As how embedded are we at this point, and can it, is it possible for us to ever leave Afghanistan without okay, uh, the so, Taliban so taking over? Here's the situation. First of all, you got to understand why our troops were sent to Afghanistan. And as I yep. explain in my book, a major reason was because an American oil company called Unicol uh, right. saw the great riches of the Caspian Sea, which is just north of Afghanistan. Uh, and they decided, you know, as I said before, this was the, the next great place. They thought it would be an alternative to their reliance on the Middle East. Let's, let's get the oil and gas out of the Caspian, but it's all landlocked. So the plan was to run a, t- a pipeline from uh, Turkmenistan, which is directly north of Afghanistan and borders the Caspian, run that pipeline from Tech. Turkmenistan to Afghanistan to Pakistan and India into a, 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 a energy a huge energy plant owned by Enron. <laughs> but anyway, oh my um, God. Yeah. yeah. So then, what happened is 
the original idea was that the Taliban were going to protect that pipeline. Pipelines have to be protected militarily because they're often sabotage, okay? And right, and right. unless there is a safe route for a pipeline, the big banks won't right. finance them. So they thought the Taliban would do it because they were the best warriors in Afghanistan. And the Taliban were actually feted in, in Texas uh, because they were the great hope. But then what happened is 9-11, and after 9-11, uh, the U.S. said to the Taliban uh, in Afghanistan, look, you've got to turn over Os- Osama bin Laden. Um, and they refused. They said, we're not going to do it unless you can prove that Osama bin Laden was behind 9-11. The U.S. just dismissed that entirely and decided to send in American troops to fight the Taliban. So that's what they did. And they ultimately, it was a very fast, um, a very fast initially war. And then they set up military bases that all run along the projected pipeline route, and I've got that map in the book. And I found quotes from a guy from the State Department who said, we have to protect the energy so it can flow south. So that was a primary reason for for militarizing Afghanistan. And the fact of the matter is that it still has not been completed, that pipeline. Um, The Turkmenistan part... So I think the reason that we're still keeping troops in there is because they, they, they want to eventually build this pipeline, but they haven't been able to because there's so much conflict. And, you know, the Russians I, have, have intervened. Some, this, at, yeah. For yeah. some reason, I, so, I, I, I keep believing it's, it's, the, uh, it's the heroin trade. You know, since, since uh, Afghanistan is 95% of all the heroin produced in the world, um, somebody... Uh, like possibly uh, us, okay, are 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 ensuring that that uh, that that heroin is is manufactured and uh, sent away, and sent out, and uh, we're well, uh, guard. I mean, we have pictures. Uh, I mean, I've seen pictures of American troops guarding uh, poppy fields, you know, before the harvest. Yeah. So yes. yeah. So I mean, what what are we doing here? You know, what are, what the well, hell we're are not we there for the reasons. That? Our troops are not there for the reasons that are stated. And and I right. find this a terrible tragedy. I, I, I have learned that American troops that have been sent into Afghanistan and into Iraq uh, have been shown, you know, pictures of the Twin Towers burning, you know, mm-hmm. collapsing. So they feel that they are avenging um, the terrorist attack on 9-11 which was, you know, involved Saudis. and uh, But anyway, that's what they think they were there for. But, but I've also shown in the book that there are veterans groups who have wised up. You know, they've been over there and they're saying, what the hell are we in here for, you know? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. are we... Uh, so now they're trying to negotiate with the Taliban who are... Uh, you know, very fundamentalist. Their treatment of women oh, yeah. is horrible. Yeah. And yeah. initially, uh, the reason why the U.S. backed away from the Taliban was because um, women's movements were were showing how vicious they were in their treatment of mm. women. This was under yeah. uh, Clinton, and Clinton being yeah. very rel- yeah. very much relied on the women's vote, he sort of backed off. But anyway, what I'm saying yeah. is, it's murky and it's ugly, and 
wherever you see oil, you see corruption. Uh, it doesn't wherever matter you, whether... And wherever you see, wherever you see a, 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 a massive dope manufacturing, there's corruption there, too. There's got to be. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I mean, that's it. I, I it's just, corrupt. I just corrupt as hell. The oil and the heroin, yeah, that's why we're still there, yeah. and we'll probably continue to be. But I, I, it's a frightening, frightening uh, situation that I don't see how we're ever going to get out of there uh, with with the leadership we have right now, and with the fossil fuel industry being the uh, the fuel, you know, pardon the pun, but the fuel of of, of Congress right now, you know, yeah, the fuel of our of our political uh, um, uh, pipeline, if you will. Because well, I mean, that's well, what all people... Trump wants to do is give, give uh, fossil fuel uh, companies uh, all the all the rain they can uh, handle, you know. And, um, he's totally beholden. He's totally beholden to them. Yeah. But he's more, no, be- I'll tell you, he's more beholden to the shale oil com- companies. And these are really? like independents. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in Texas. They're in Kansas. Um, mm. they're, they're in the Southwest, right? What's going yeah. on is you've got the miners, the minor oil companies, mm have tried ever since Bush to get into the Middle East and the Caspian mm. region to make big right. bucks. And they're very resentful of the majors like ExxonMobil, Shell, yeah. BP, because the majors yeah. have uh, the huge infrastructure and know-how that they've developed over a century. So when a country mm. decides to uh, negotiate uh, oil deals, there may be some sort of wildcatter firms, you know, miners that are in there to begin with. But then what happens right. is once they strike the oil or the gas, then uh, mm-hmm. the majors come in and buy them out. All right, that's what's going on. But they want uh, they want okay. in. So yeah. so the uh, Trump was very much supported by uh, shale oil. Well, they're all going bust now because of the COVID thing. And right, uh, right. I've written some articles about that. So uh, meanwhile, you know, who knows? I think, frankly, that this, this is an awful thought, but uh, COVID may be sort of a tragic um blessing in disguise, because it's forcing all oil companies, whether they're the shale oil people or the majors, to um, diversify and get off of fossil fuels. I mean, and look at the the climate change. Look at the impact impact on the horrible fires. And now we got more hurricanes coming. So, you know, climate denial. Yeah, and then you got got a moron moron dying from COVID that's saying that there's no, there's no science. Science is nothing. Medicine is nothing. Yeah. I know everything. I'm genius. You know, you see when he said that uh, that his uh, uncle used to teach at MIT, so he he's really smart about a lot of things. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah well. and he was standing there in a, in a place that was making uh, 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 testing. You know, he's, t- he's testing. Uh, um, what was it? They were testing, uh, making test uh, COVID test things, you know, uh, test strips or whatever. Testing people, you and, mean? Uh, he, he, yeah, he, yeah, test strips, test strips, and the, he was walking through this place without a mask on, and it turned yeah. out that he contaminated the entire uh, the entire area. That all of the there was probably hundreds of thousands of test kits that had to be disposed disposed of because they were he, he contaminated them all. 
No, All same right. to you. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's the end of our show tonight. Um, we have, uh, that was Charlotte, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Charlotte Dennett uh, and her book. And it was a, it's a fascinating read, a very insightful. Um, and so have a pleasant evening, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Uh, we have another guest tonight, uh, on uh, Thursday night, and uh, his his name is Rabbi... Um, Excuse me, I'll have to get the book here. Uh, his name is Michael Lerner, and he wrote a book called Revolutionary Love, A Political Manifesto to Heal and Transform the World, and that'll be on, he'll be on uh, uh, Thursday night with us, right here, same time, same place. So have a pleasant evening, everybody, and, uh, you know, stay safe.